I am generally not the kind of person that likes to give myself too much credit, right? Like I'm a fairly humble person overall. I don't like to to be like, oh, look at me, look at me. But admit, I watched every single early kickoff at this World Cup. That started with Argentina, Saudi Arabia, which was a great way to start the early kickoffs. You watched that early kickoff. I did. I couldn't miss that one, and it was worth it. But uh, take a bow. Take a bow, son. That's uh, that's incredible. And I feel like today, the soccer gods rewarded me for that. They said, everybody, like, this was the game, Serbia, Cameroon, 7 a.m. kickoff here in Argentina, 4 a.m. kickoff. Wherever you were around the world, if it was the early morning kickoff, the only people who were watching this game were the people who had already watched all the early kickoffs, right? Like, you're not watching. You just don't randomly pick to watch this game. If you've watched all the early kickoffs, you're not going to quit now. You're going to watch the last one. But if you haven't, this was a very clear, nah, just going to sleep through that one. Don't need to see it. And all of us were rewarded, Amit. We were rewarded for our faith. You were a six-goal thriller. How about that? It makes, uh, it makes what was Tunisia, Denmark, one of these, or yeah. was that a that was? Yeah. It makes it makes that one worth it. Tunisia, two-time early kickoff. Actually, no, it wasn't. Tunisia, Denmark was, that was after a the seven? Argentina game. Tunisia, yeah, Australia, that was a seven. Yeah, our set was our but early that... morning kickoffs. Hmm. I mean, look, there haven't been any terrible, terrible games. I mean, there have, but. This was a great game. This is the yep. World Cup After Dark podcast. I'm Austin Miller. He's Amit Malik. We might have to rename it to the World Cup Before Dawn podcast, Amit, because that's when all the fun happened today. Yeah, but WCAD, WCAD, a little better than Wakubud. I guess. <laughs> yeah, the, B, the B and the B don't really, don't really oh, tie man. in there. Those oh, man. Don't yeah. make sounds when you put them together. Um. Let's get into the before dawn fun. Serbia 3, Cameroon 3. This was a bonkers game. I was literally thinking to myself last night, I think it was at some point during our podcast or maybe just after, there have been really good games at this World Cup, but we haven't had like a super high scoring, thrilling game. And then we got two of them, and this was one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the goals were really good, Um, set pieces for Serbia. They were excellent. Alexander Mitrovic should have had a few more when this yep. game was 3-3. But the story has to go to Vincent Abubakar with not a sumptuous chip, just like a straight-up scoop. Just like straight-up, straight, scoop. Up, straight down. Everyone thought he was offsides. He was not. Uh, I still I, – I guess so. So – Two real and then and then the third goal, like as you noted, he did very well to to get the pass. A striker's finish from Stoke City legend Chupo Moting. So this was really fun. And I think you, you said it well. These two teams had good attacks and not so good defenses. Yeah. It was really bad for Serbia to be up three one and to give both their goals with their high line being caught out. Yeah. That's this not was what you should be doing up three one. This game was the result of two teams that had high-ish level attacks. And an absolute inability to stay organized. For Cameroon, they just couldn't stay organized. And for Serbia, they couldn't keep their right back high enough. And on both goals, you're up 3-1. And their right back is just playing Vincent Abubakar on. And on the first one, everybody just shut off when he gets the ball. Because it's like, ah, he's definitely offside. And he lifts it and he scoops it and the flag goes up. And you're like, ah, he's definitely offside. And you see the replay and it's like, no, the right back on the far other side of the field was just chilling. 
and he was playing Abubakar on. And he made it 3-2, and then basically the same thing happened again, where he got played on by the right back. And then this time, unselfishly passes it up. Little note to some of our other strikers we may talk about on this episode. It helps to be unselfish. Unselfishly lays it off to Chuba Moting. 3-3, and this game could have been like 5-5. There were that yeah. many chances and that much disorganization. And we haven't even talked about the fact that Cameroon's starting goalkeeper from the first game was not there in this game because he got sent home. That's right. Rigobert's song and their goalkeeper, Onana, had a discussion apparently. Widely reported that Song wanted Onana to play more conservatively. And Onana was probably like, dude, have you seen the back line you're putting out there? I cannot play conservatively. They're going to rip me up. And just got straight up sent home. So Cameroon are left with 25 players. You did mention that it was very unlikely Cameroon got to the Brazil match with 26 players. That was probably a throwaway comment like seven podcasts back. But uh, you were correct. What a, what a pull. I know, I know, I knew. I, I'm not sure you had on your bingo card the goalkeeper gets sent home for not agreeing to play song style, but it was plausible. I mean, it, this was just an insane World Cup game that in the big picture of this World Cup probably won't end up meaning a lot, right? Like Cameroon aren't making a run. They'd have to beat Brazil. Serbia are actually okay despite this result because of the other result with Brazil and Switzerland in that they just probably need to beat Switzerland to go through. And so, but this game will be remembered by the World Cup sickos because it was just absurd. Yeah, great goals, good fun, lots of chances. Uh, It was nice to see two teams go at it, something that this game could not have been um, given the stakes and given the circumstances. So awesome, awesome. And it kind of talks to what we talked about yesterday, right? Like at every point in this tournament, at some point you have to turn off the conservative nature and you have to go for it. And these two teams had to do it here and they gave us a three, three game, two teams that did not turn off that conservative nature. The other game in this group, Brazil won Switzerland nil Brazil are very difficult to score on and they make it very difficult for you to keep them from scoring for 90 minutes. Those two things lead to them playing a lot of games that are like this, where they have a lot of the ball they create marginal half chances. They create a couple of good chances. They force you into a couple of saves, and eventually they break you down. And that's what they did here with Casemiro's apparent worldly that turned out to be a shot that went off the bottom of a defender, giving Brazil a 1-0 win, and then they just slammed the door shut on Switzerland. Yeah, this was another data point for Brazil being the best team at this tournament, specifically in that they have the style to control games from start to finish, which... There are a few other candidates, France being the leading one of them, but I'm not sure there's a team that is well-equipped to handle all three game states, tying, leading, and chasing result. Um, And the way they play, they when it's a neutral game, they just suffocate you, don't give you a lot, and then once they score one of their half chances, they're nearly impossible to score against, which you mentioned, because their high press is so good with their attackers, they're well-organized, well-drilled, and then they have a great center defensive mid in Casemiro, really good center backs, and a really good goalkeeper who hasn't even been that tested through two yeah, games. Hasn't done anything in two games. Hasn't done anything. So this was really impressive. And look, yeah, the, the ball took a deflection. Jan Sommer, who was very good today for Switzerland, uh, beaten a bit unluckily. But it's good technique from Casemiro. He's leaning one way, puts his outside of the foot through the ball. Very nice volley. And he hit it hard enough that the deflection was still like put it through on goal. Yeah, lucky, but uh, 
it's a good it's a good take from Casemiro. And listen, that's what Brazil do. They're and willing- they were also unlucky to have the first goal chopped off, right? Vinicius Jr. with a really good finish that got brought back for an offside that happened way before the actual play. That is technically an offside, but look, a dude going away from his own goal near the halfway line, like that's not what the offside rule is built in place for. And I understand you have to yeah. call it. But that was probably unfortunate for Brazil, and then it kind of evens out with the way that this goal went. Yeah, and they created a very good chance, too, for, I want to say it was Rafinha in the first half, who the ball was crossed in. He was pretty wide open on goal and just just missed. But this was was just so good from Brazil uh, from start to finish. Switzerland were up for it, but it just didn't matter because they couldn't get anything sustained going forward. And even when they were down one, they couldn't even keep the ball. That like was the teams- most impressive part of Brazil today for me, Amit. When they went a goal up, Switzerland had nothing. Like, yeah. absolutely not. Brazil just pinned them in their own box and just pressed them and said, even if you beat our press, guess what's waiting behind it? It's Casemiro. And it was ridiculously impressive. Yeah. This was, so before this game, I said, oh, maybe Brazil will sub on a more creative player. Maybe Anthony... Um, and in st- or maybe Rodrigo, and then what they did is they put Fred into the center midfield in the Neymar spot. So obviously Neymar is more of a roaming center attacking midfielder. Yep. Fred more box to box, good presser, all around solid, but definitely nowhere near as creative. Not that type of player. It was fine for Brazil. They were missing Neymar. They were yeah. missing his creativity. They didn't get as much silkiness in the final third. But Vinicius, Rafinha were good. Um, Paqueta stepped up to take a little more of the creativeness. They were fine. Um, they still created enough chances and they scored a half chance. And if they needed to get more attacking talent on, they could have. Um, yeah. Go ahead. This, this game kind of highlighted Neymar's importance, right? Not in the Brazil are super dependent on him, but he gives them the extra guy in attack. And by replacing yeah. him with Fridge, which I don't think is necessarily maybe what they would have done in a different situation, but they did so here. They were kind of playing Switzerland man for man, right? Yep. Even in the yep. Swiss half. And eventually they broke them down and they scored. But it's a lot easier when you have the extra man and when that extra man roaming around is Neymar. Yeah, it was just a little bit measured from Brazil. But they had options. And, you know, Richarlison was relatively relatively absent this game. He was, yep. he was around, but he didn't do much. But that's okay. Um I'm not going to hold this against them. This was a game that going in, Brazil could have walked through it and been fine. But credit to them for winning, getting through. They, they're already through one of three teams. So this was a good result for them. And Switzerland didn't have a lot to lose. Uh, I think they found uh, just how hard they, they found. They learned what it's like to play Brazil. It's really yeah. hard. You can play well and just have nothing going forward. But uh, credit to Switzerland for leaving Shakiri on the bench. Yeah, they listened to the podcast last night. Yeah, it would have been a lot worse with him in there. So I don't think much more needs to be said. This was this was Brazil being Brazil. I they're the fa- the favorite, I think, if not up there with France. Um, they're well built for this kind of soccer, and they showed it yet again. And I think this group, maybe more so than any other, has gone exactly like we expected it. Right? Brazil have taken care of the two European teams in this group. Cameroon getting a point off of Serbia is probably a surprising result. But at the end of the day, this group is more likely than not coming down to Serbia against Switzerland on the final day 
which is what we expected. Cameroon still are mathematically alive, but they're going to have to beat Brazil, which I don't think they're going to be able to do. They are probably going to eat a lot of goals against Brazil based on the organization ability that they showed against Serbia today. So this comes down to Serbia against Switzerland on the last day. Switzerland had the advantage of playing for the draw because they beat Cameroon and Serbia didn't. This is a tie that has history behind it. Four years ago at the World Cup, it was one of the most hard-fought, kind of intense, politically speaking, ties as well. This is a very exciting game for the final day, and both of these teams really will want to go through. Duh. Yes, yeah, you highlighted right? it. It's <laughs> really exciting. But it, it's <laughs> really exciting. to go through. But yeah, yeah it's but really it's, exciting. it's really exciting, and they're two teams that I think – are similar to each other in terms of their organization, strong attackers, um, well-managed. So um, it'll be fun. I think both teams are going to, longer it goes, going to have to flex their attacking might, and there's good attackers to go around. Um, Mitrovic, it'd be really good for him to put one of his chances in the back yeah, of the net. It was interesting He's been a today. little wasteful. Serbia was clinical but also wasteful right like yeah, they, it's hard they to had be a wasteful game. in a game you score three goals in but they kind of were yeah i think they should have they had higher xg chances that they didn't the malinkovic savage goal i think that's not great keeping he's shooting yeah. with his left foot it's not very uh pacey shot and it's spinning towards the near side of the net i think a keeper's got to save that but the other goals the set piece goal the header was awesome yeah. and your keeper Go got sent home, so yeah, that's part of it. So, <laughs> yeah, um, no, it's it's really exciting. We could maybe talk about that before the game on Friday. Yeah. All right. The other group, we also had another World Cup banger before dawn in the Central Time Zone, or maybe as dawn was happening. Ghana three, South Korea two. This was another classic World Cup game. Ghana were really good in the first half. They absorbed this early spell of Korean pressure and then just dominated them scoring twice to take a 2-0 lead. Korea got back in the game by hitting it to their big dude, and their big dude beat both Ghanaian center backs for a goal, which was pretty impressive, right? Like, it wasn't like, oh, I'll just beat one of them twice. No, he sized up both of the Ghanaian center backs and beat them both on headers. To get them back to 2-2, it kind of felt like Korea was going to get back in the game. Also, the big dude, Cho Gui-sung, Jeonbuk Hyundai Motors, which is a famous Korean club, was on loan at the military team in the second division last year. Your old friend, the South Korean military team. <laughs> well, Hyung Min Sun, I don't know if you ever played for them, but yes. He did not. Noted, uh, a, a noted uh, fun place to be. A yes. small aside on the Hyung Min Sun uh, military time is he went there and he was only there, I think, for a very short amount of time, but they did a shooting like with guns practice. Yeah. And it turned out he was really good at it. And everyone was, oh, how impressive is he that he's good at this? So I was like, yeah. How about that? Kingman's son, good at shooting. How about that? And then Mohamed Kudos, Amit, got his second goal of this game. Did the Ghanaian striker on this third goal purposely whiff to distract the goalkeeper? It'd be funny. It'd be funny if that's what it was, but uh, I don't think so. No, I think okay. he missed. Okay. But Mohamed Kudos did not miss. No, made it 3-2. And then Ghana attempted to, did, to do something they were not well-built to do, which is shut the game down. And I think that was kind of a mistake, and it luckily didn't cost them. But, like, you can't play guys behind the ball. You have to just keep attacking, because that's your best defense. Yeah, they were honestly lucky to survive it at 3-2. Korea 
did everything they could. They basically walked into the crossing zones unimpeded. They walked into the box unimpeded, had a bunch of shots deflected, and they had a lot of... I saw a stat they had the most completed crosses in a World Cup game since they track this kind of stuff. And part of it is because of the big dude in the box. Great target to aim at. But they just... They, it's hard to complete that many cross in the box and not get that third goal because that was their entire strategy once they went down. Um, I get really, really disappointing for them not to tie. A tie wouldn't have helped them that much, but it, Ghana was not suited for it. Their their defending really left a lot to be desired once they went up three two. When they were up two uh, zero, it's really crazy in the World Cup to see two two goal leads erased, and that yeah. tells you about the teams protecting them. So, uh, but uh, I do think before this game, we mentioned we looked at the percentages. And we're like, this was all you. Be f- you. This was you, man. I was I was not necessarily buying that, but you. Yeah, were I just on Ghana was undervalued here, and I thought Ghana was undervalued one. here, and uh, they were good. And I think Kudus is that dude. Yeah. Um, he had we we circled him really early, breakout star. Uh, he's gonna get sold if not January in the summer transfer window for a big fee to one of the top clubs in Europe. He's at Ajax already. This is their pipeline, what they do. He's awesome. He is just yeah. a, a wrecking ball in attack. So creative, so fast. Um, scored the goals. So this was fun, really fun. And Korea are not done. Uh, the goal, uh, that the second goal that Uruguay conceded on the penalty kick helps their chances against rotated Portugal. But they were they were this close to, to getting a point. Yeah, and, and at 2-2, it almost felt like they were this close to winning the game. Right, right. right. Uh, Korea have been poorish at this World Cup, I think. Yeah. And pa- there's a lot of reasons for it. I think Seon Hunmin hasn't quite been the game breaker that they need him to be. He's been good. But there were moments in this game where it felt like he needed to take shots with his left foot, and he just didn't do it. And he kept trying right. to cut onto his right, and that's what Ghana were prepared for. Right. The South Korea did a good job in their buildup to get him the ball on the edge of the box yep. or on the end of the side of the field attacking into a defense where he's kind of the last man, uh, which is what South Korea want. And Sun Hyung-min at his best is a finisher. Um, he's really good at doing the step over and shooting. And then every time he did it, he went right and it was blocked. He didn't even get that many clean shots through. So I think he's got something left in him. He we, we, we circled him as a guy that's going to have a moment for Korea, but will it be too little too late? We'll see. Yeah. And also Korea will be without their manager for the last game after yeah, the uh, I mean, uh, on that note, I know it was 101 minutes. Just yeah. give the corner kick. You've played yeah. 11 extra minutes. Let yeah. Korea have one more corner kick. If that had happened in FIFA, it wouldn't happen. FIFA would never – FIFA lets – I'm talking about the video game. FIFA. yeah, yeah, yeah. It lets you keep your attacking sequence going. That's, I, I don't know if I would have gotten sent off if I was the manager, but he has a fair quibble there. That's tough. Okay. Okay. The other game in this group was the last game we saw today. Portugal 2, Uruguay 0. And a peak <laughs> Ronaldo moment of it. Your, your greatest player of all time is scoring worldies against Mexico Memo. My greatest player of all time is not heading the ball and claiming it for a 1-0 goal. We are not the same. No. <laughs> this was peak Ronaldo. A cross shot from Bruno Fernandes that Ronaldo rises, does his jump high thing, 
kind of looks like he makes contact with it and just immediately the second his feet are on the ground is claiming it right just like arm in the air that's my goal give it to me put it on the board baby and the replay shows like you didn't touch it no he he knew if if he had really headed that thing he would have went and done one of his celebrations yeah he would have done one of them he didn't and you know what the football karma gods uh rewarded us all by giving Portugal a penalty kick after he was set off. Denied the chance to bang in another penalty and stat stuff by a late, bad VAR penalty. Uruguay in this game, Amit, for the first time in this World Cup, they went on the front foot. And they did that after like 160 minutes. It's just not good enough. You have to be better than that. You have to do it sooner because they looked good when they did it. They brought on the Flamengo men, Georgian de Arascaeta, their best attacking midfielder, their best man to link up their back line with their attackers. And immediately they controlled the game, they created chances, and they probably should have been level. You have to do that sooner. You cannot waste a game and a half plus of a World Cup just being negative and defensive. You can't do it. I agree with you completely, and I think this fits into one of my larger critiques for the tournament, is that we talked about this last podcast, how this is the post-analytics ball, everyone's playing conservatively, but at the same time, at some point in a World Cup, you have to go get it. But what I'm disappointed with is that I know everyone doesn't want to get out, on leave yourself done after the first game, leave yourself out after two games, that's what happened to Canada. We criticize them for being naive, but at the same time, each game counts the same. Just right. being alive in the third game doesn't necessarily mean that's your best chance to go through. Uruguay's best game in this group was against South Korea, and they didn't have Arascaeta for a lot of that game. They didn't that's, play him at all. He didn't, didn't touch play the pitch against them. What is that? They looked infinitely better with him on the field. So you that's, an, that's 90 minutes missed where you needed that goal. They're still alive, but it's this game, 60 minutes gone. 90 minutes he didn't even play, so... Really disappointing there from Diego Alonso and Uruguay. It's interesting because you talk about the term we've kind of coined here, the post-analytics football, right? That's not necessarily what Uruguay are doing because Uruguay had done this forever, right? Like they are the champions of this post-analytical football type thing. Like they've been playing this way at the World Cup forever. This has been what they've done. And it's informed by their team makeup. They have very good center backs, very good organization, and they had two strikers that could play on the break that had almost like telepathic relationship with each other in Suarez and Cavani. And now they're a little bit older and they had Darwin Nunez a threat to run in, but those guys were just stranded on an Island for all of this match. And then when you saw when Arascaeta came in, he was, going backwards, getting the ball, immediately dribbling two Portugal players, and the ball was in the back line, and Portugal had to scramble. Uruguay's attack looked so good. And Betancourt was really good this game. He almost had a World Cup golazo dribbling the whole Portugal team. Hey, bud, did you watch Vincent Abubakar? That's the way you get over the keeper Get it up! Get it up! Palistri was also really good. Uh, He's a Man United... uh, product he's he's been on loan for them this year and last year but he was also a player that came in and he was dribbling and getting in good spots I, I don't think Suarez and Cavani were necessarily the problem for Uruguay I think it's just the midfield makeup and Valverde was also good when this game was stretched it's Uruguay just, ha- they, have the talent they didn't set him up you need to 
find a way to let those guys that you talked about that were so good, Bethencourt, Valverde, Pelistri, link up with the guys in front who can finish the chances. And they didn't have that for too long in this yeah. tournament so far. And, and there's still time to rectify it, right? But yes. they've made their job harder because they didn't attack the game against South Korea and they waited too long to attack the game against Portugal. Because this Portugal team was there to be attacked, right? They started literally Pepe in the back line. Pepe yeah. in the year 2022. They did. And they had a lot of William Carvalho in the midfield. And he is slow. He's a good defensive midfielder, but he's slow. Pepe is slow. Ruben Diaz is slow-ish. Um, Joel Cancelo was very good in this game, but I just think Portugal were there for the taking. And you also saw that before these guys came on, Uruguay had trouble getting the ball. Portugal yeah. was just really bo- passing it around, knocking it around. And almost it was like Uruguay was waiting for the game to be chaotic. But once you're down 1-0, it's too late. It's okay to play on the front foot. It's okay, but whatever. Let, let's talk about Uruguay-Ghana, which is yeah. a great, great game, great yeah. narrative, revenge for 2010, Luis Suarez handball, Asamoah gone, penalty off the crossbar, one of the greatest moments of World Cup history, and now we finally, 12 years later, get revenge, and a, somehow a weird amount of players are still involved. Yeah, <laughs> Way too many dudes from a 2010 World Cup game are going to be running it back in 2022. The situation, Uruguay will need to beat Ghana. Ghana will go through with a win regardless of the result in the Portugal-Korea game. They would go through with a draw if Korea failed to beat Portugal. So, that being considered, this is a big game, obviously. Big third game. We've had big first game, big second game, big third game. This is a big third game. It's probably going to decide who goes through in this group. How do you see it? It's super interesting because... The on-paper narrative for this game would be, ah, Ghana should sit back and counter, let Uruguay have the ball. Ghana are not capable of pulling that off. And I don't know if Uruguay are capable of having the ball either. Let's see what they do. They have to play the Araskaita, you'd think. It's an interesting game from a tactical perspective. Right. I think Uruguay looked better, but Portugal was up 1-0. So the game was already stretched. If Ghana are packed in defending... It's harder for Uruguay to break them down, but Ghana is naturally bad at that. It somehow works in both teams' favors to make this a rollicking game, a back and forth, but the sooner it gets to that game state, the more risky it is. So I think we see a half of interesting, cautious feel it out, but if it's the second, the second half starts, both these teams have to go for it. So we're in for a true roller coaster, and then it comes down to you know, which attacking midfielder creates better chances and which striker finishes them. This is an all-time game for talent if you're watching D.R. Sketa versus Kudus. Both of these players are awesome and are just going to be running into back lines that are not very good at stopping what's coming. Uh, no, you know, no offense to Jimenez and Godin. They're they, old. They, they, they're, they're, very old. Old. they're very old. They're very old. <laughs> and Ghana are just not very organized. And yeah. Uruguay looked good overloading areas in possession with their attackers. It's going to come down to finishing, right? Um, And the pressure is a little bit more on Ghana here, I think, yeah? Yeah, and also, this is a game, and and we'll get into it on Thursday before it happens on Friday, this is a game that's probably not finishing 11 versus 11, right? Whoever's going out of this World Cup is going out with a bang. And if it's Uruguay, we've seen it before, this is what Uruguayan teams do, they go out with a bang. If it's Ghana, they'll probably go out with a bang because they'll be mad about losing to Uruguay again. 
So this is a it's a get your popcorn ready type game. It's yeah. really good. A hundred percent. Any hope I was for just Korea? Gonna... Yeah, because Portugal yeah. are probably going to rotate, and if Portugal they might win... be better if they rotate, because that means Ronaldo yeah. might not play. Right. Although Ronaldo's like Fernando yeah. Santos, you got to put know. me in. This is Korea. This is where I get. This is I where mean, I pass. I think yes. Fernando Santos might be thinking, "I'm going to let Ronaldo run for 90 minutes, and hopefully he'll get tired, and I'll have an excuse to take him off in the round of 16." Right? Uh, that's galaxy brain. I don't know if that'll happen. I think South Korea have a chance. I think yeah. there's a moment left for them, but we'll see. It's it's definitely unlikely. Again, I know 538 is factoring in all the priors here, but Ghana. Win probability sixteen percent. Uruguay fifty seven. We okay. we have evidence that that is way too low. This is much more of a thirty forty percent range for Ghana, just given what we've seen from Uruguay. But as to Korea, we'll see. It's it's a tough road, but you got to do your best and hope the result goes though, your way. Yeah. As I play around with the results here, like Korea are in a decent like if they win Uruguay have to win by 3 and if they yeah. can win by 2 a draw is enough for them like of the teams that are in their situation like Tunisia Cameroon are the other ones they're far and away the team that's most well equipped to do this and also facing the opponent that is the most able to be done in right yeah totally i think their style is going to match up well against portugal yeah who are suspect at defending even though they've put two clean sheets together they have not so, put two clean sheets together they got oh, sorry, sorry sorry sorry, sorry. <laughs> you're right you're right excuse oh, no. me oh, they, put, they put together a clean sheet today even though they were a yeah. little bit battered in the second half but i think korea can make this a game and right. you're right that second goal today against uruguay really gives yeah. them a chance if they can win it makes the calculation a little bit easier for them and it opens more doors for them i was always assuming that they win, of course. Yeah. I admit, tomorrow's the big day. Last day in Group A, last day in Group B. Let's touch quickly on Group A, and then we'll get into the big showdown in Group B. This group is going to come down to Senegal and Ecuador as long as the Netherlands don't lose. One word answer. Will the Netherlands lose to Qatar? No. All right, great. Moving on. Big opportunity for the Cody Gakpo Golden Boot Brigade, right? Yeah. Like, you gotta you got you gotta rack up three here. You got two, got a good little start. Don't know what's gonna happen in the knockout rounds. This is the game you have to bag them. I mean, this is just a good chance for Netherlands to boost their confidence before the round of sixteen. Yeah. Because they've been underwhelming. Um and they've kind of been given a game to sort it out and get some yeah. goals and feel good. Yep. All right, Senegal, Ecuador. This is the game that we think is going to decide second place in this group. Could decide first place if the Netherlands decide that they want to only draw against Qatar or whatever happens there. Can I think the big question here is, can Senegal be incisive enough to cause Ecuador issues? They have to win the game, and I think that's probably a good thing for Ecuador. Yes, because they have the draw or win scenario. They're inclined to be defensive if they want to they've been very good they're that's their you know that's natural their state that's their right. mo um so this the pressure is on senegal and i think the more senegal you know try to commit numbers forward the more dangerous ecuador are with their wingers with enter valencia hanging out on the back line making runs in behind so this is again a pretty classic encounter with the pressure on senegal but it should be good either way because Ecuador aren't safe, and I don't think they can nor will they play for the draw because 
Ecuador, I think, have the upper hand if these teams are trying to press each other and both teams are trying to come at it. That just favors Ecuador. They have more quality on their front line. I think their midfield has been better. But Senegal are more than capable enough. I worry for them as they're finishing. And yeah. I, if you just look at these two teams, Valencia's been in form and just on overall talent maybe is better than what Senegal have, even without Mane. So I think that's what it comes down to. Um, and at what point does Ecuador shut up and play for the draw? 70th minute? Yeah, 75th I think... minute? Earlier than that, it's just a lot of time. I think Ecuador will be happy to concede possession, but right. I think they will also not be shy about taking advantage of space, right? Right. Like, I think they'll be okay with Senegal dictating terms in the first half of this game, but I think they will also be pretty aggressive in going forward to try and get a goal and kill this off. I think that's their dream scenario is that they can be incisive with the ball, they can cut up the Senegal back line, and Valencia can strike again, or whether it's Plata or whoever it is. That's the dream scenario for Ecuador, and I think they'll feel pretty good about their possibilities of doing that. Senegal are going to have to break down Ecuador because Ecuador have still been good defensively, right? They gave up a super low XG distance strike to Cody Gakpo. That's the only goal they've given up in this tournament. Coming into this tournament, they were really good defensively. They have proven to be a tough team to break down, and that is the question for Senegal. Can they break down Ecuador? And that's going to be what determines who goes through here in Group A. All right, Amit. Group B, it's sweaty time. And now it's sweaty time with the side of politics because of what has happened in the past couple of days between Iran and the U.S. men's national team. Uh, the U.S. men's national team's Twitter account deciding to take elements of the Iran flag and not display them. That has turned into a predictable political hullabaloo. Walker Zimmerman, Tyler Adams, and Greg Berhalter have all had to answer for it. The players in the coaching staff knew nothing about it. Uh, firstly, you and I both work in this industry, right? Like we work in media and communications. You can't put your team in that situation as a communication staffer, like end of story. That's, that's like the worst possible thing to do of yeah. all the outcomes you could do, uh, as a communication staffer, it's actively make things harder for your team on the field and in the media cycle. That's, that's bad. That's yeah. bad. Bad luck. Listen, if uh, the U.S. Uh, men's national team is looking for... No, no, no. no. <laughs> we're not, we're, we're oh, not going to finish this. Oh, he's putting his resume out. He's no, putting no. his resume out no, there. Because they'd listen to this podcast and they'd go five podcasts ago and they'd be like, <laughs> Mid Malik, who likes him, Ron. But right anyways, there in Chicago, though. U.S. soccer, yeah. based in Chicago. Right. They are. They are. To, to start with this game, I want to illustrate, which is something that one of our friends, um, Isaac Bushnell, fan of the podcast, yep. has brought up, is that a lot of these final match day three games are where the better team needs to win. And yep. that draw outcome helps the worst team. Not the case in Ecuador-Senegal. But yep. I'm going to use the 538 probabilities again just to illustrate how it changes, how d different it is. Ecuador, 37% to win. Senegal, 30% to win. But the draw is 33. So for Senegal to get through, it's only 30% to about yeah. 70%. The other way is USA, 38%. Iran, 31. So USA is favored. They're the better team. But the draw is 31. So it's USA only 40% to get through. Yeah. So they are up against it here. And it's because Iran are very organized defensively. The draw favors them. And yes, the U.S. are still in a good position on final day, the better team 
to beat Iran, but it is a tough task. And the Iran we saw on match day two is playing much better soccer. Yep. Is Osmoon available? He makes yep. life difficult. He's going to trouble the U.S. backline on the counter. This is a game where Iran are going to be bunkered in. They're not going to be fully bunkered in, at least for the first half. But Kiroj knows what this is ta- what this is about. His team knows what this is about. The pressure is almost all on the U.S., and the build-up to this game has intensified that. Yeah. Because now U.S. is being vilified, perhaps. They are just getting the magnifying glass on them. The coach, Greg Berthalter, is being asked if uh, when the U.S. will remove its naval fleet from near Iran, as if he can just call up them and do it. Um, that was really funny. I Just a note on that, I thought it was really interesting. Henry Bushnell, with some great uh, context in his writing for Yahoo Sports, 98% of like the Iran media is like state-backed, and the yeah. others are like all going to... They're they're clapping at the press conference for the Iran players, and then Tyler Adams comes, and they're like, "Well, what about the issues in America?" So, this has just yeah. turned into a mess. This has yeah. turned into a spewing cauldron of bubbly disgust. And despite all of that, the U.S. men's national team, the second most youthful roster at the World Cup, is in a winner go home against an experienced Iran team managed by literal bunker ball hero Carlos Queiroz. It's become a very difficult proposition. I am very worried. All right. So a couple of things here. One, like you said, a massive unforced error, right? Like that's the thing that this comes down to, like a massive unforced error. So take all of that out of the way. On the field, here's what it comes down to. If the USA wins, they are through regardless of what happens. Iran are through with a draw unless Wales beat England. Iran are through with a win regardless of the result in the Wales-England game. We could have a moment in this match. It's not super likely based on what we've seen from Wales so far this tournament. We could have a moment in this match where Wales takes the lead and Iran have to shift from drawing this game to winning this game and the U.S. will still be in the boat of having to win this game. We could have both teams meeting to go win this game at a moment. I don't think that's super likely. But it's something that could happen, and we've seen strange stuff like this happen on World Cup last days before. The question for the U.S. for me, Amit, comes down to this. I think they will create chances. I don't know that they'll create a ton of chances. They will create chances. Will they score them? And as an addendum to that, who will score them? And that's the big question. That was going to be my big question. I think it's the question. It's the question we asked of the first games, uh, the first two games. The U.S. created about four to five half to good chances, and Tim Weah scored one of them. Yep. And I don't like that Greg Berhalter has said, I'm sticking with my three nominal strikers to play the position of striker. And I know just yesterday I went on a rant about playing your strikers, but this is a case where I think that Tim Weah is a functionally better striker for the U.S. men's national team because of what he does and because it allows you to get... He's not a false nine, which was my main quibble. He allows you to go vertical, but then you get to put another good player in, whether that's Brendan Aronson, whether that's Gio Reyna. This is an empty-the-tank moment for the U.S. And one area... You play as many of your best players as possible, right? And way at striker allows you to do that. Right, which is why I think that... But from... I'm pretty sure, given what Greg said, that won't be the case. I think yep. we'll see 
uh, Sargent or Ferreira, probably Sargent, but I don't know. The other part of this, the U.S. has more depth than Iran. Yes. Iran's without Jahan Bahash because yep. he got the yellow, the second yellow accumulation. That hurts Iran. They just don't have as many pieces to bring off. The it bench. hurts them in the sense of that's a set of legs that they won't be able to spend trying to run the other way, right? right. Like I don't know that Jahan Bahash would have started this match, but he's absolutely a guy that if it's still a draw in the 70th minute, you bring him on because he's fresh legs because you're going to be gassed at various spots. Right. And that's what's going to happen in this game. Right. So it's... U.S. are going to be asked to create. This is a Serginio Desk game. Yeah. This is a Christian Pulisic game on the left. Is he a runner? Is he a dribbler? He's U.S. men's national team Twitter will tell you he's better when he's just getting the chances funneled to him instead of having to create the chances. This is a Weston, or sorry, this is a Eunice Musa create chances game. But at the end, it's going to be hard to create chances against a set in Iran defense. So it's going to come down to set pieces where the U S has been bad in two games, yeah. but in their best moments, then the, uh, gold cup in the CONCACAF nations league final, they were good. So mm-hmm. Weston McKinney, this is a chance. Whoever's the center backs, this is a chance. The striker, this is a chance. It's just going to be sweaty. You can just feel it coming in. Yep. And when the first chance comes for the U S and it likely doesn't score, how much does the the confidence start to melt? How beleaguered do they look on the field? Are the vibes going to get bad? This is Greg Berhalter's moment. He has, on the whole, gotten the tactics right through two games, but his adjustments have perhaps been a step slow twice. And he's built up his team in ways that they're not creating a lot of high volume of chances. They're creating good chances infrequently. So... This is a really, really, really tough test to see if the U.S. can create enough that their finishing doesn't matter or just get finishing luck somehow. It's it's not looking good for the U.S. Of course, there's confidence on their side. Of course, there's belief. Of course, they're marginally the better team. But all of that goes out the window. And you have an extremely, extremely motivated Iran yeah. team based on what happened. So this is pointing to being probably an ugly game that's going to make every u.s fan like have a heart attack think think about this last time they had a situation like this in the 2010 world cup it took a landed donovan rebound goal in the 90 whatever minute that he put in it wasn't pretty and it was like the greatest moment of the u.s men's national team history not actually but up there yeah Another chance for a moment like that in this game. That's what's at stake, but it's, I don't know how this happens like in normal way. This goal, if it gets scored, is going to be weird. Yeah. And I think two more super interesting things about this game is one, Iran almost assuredly have the better finishers in their team. And so that means that they probably won't need to create as many chances to cash one in. And so what is going to happen when if he's healthy, Osmoon and Taremi are running at the U.S. backline in space as the U.S. is recovering after having lost possession. That, I think, is a big moment in this game when that inevitably happens. And who is it back there running? Is it still Zimmerman and Reem, who I think have been marginally fine this tournament? Obviously, Zimmerman gave away the penalty. But those are probably not the two guys I would want running back and trying to defend those two guys and in their intricate two-man interplay. 
if Iran creates situations where Osmoon and Taremi are playing two-on-two against Zimmerman and Reem, that is a massive win for Iran. And that's the exact situation that they're going to look to create with late runners coming in behind. Another thing, this is a young U.S. team. They have experience. They won CONCACAF Nations League. They won the Gold Cup. They qualified relatively easily without too many slip-ups. This is a whole other step because the amount of head games that are going to be played by the side on the other side here in Iran is absolutely massive. It's going to make Honduras and El Salvador in qualification look like child's play. The U.S. have to keep their heads. They've been generally good about that. I thought they were better about that in this qualification cycle. But they absolutely have to keep their heads. And I think the player that I am most circling with that comment is Pulisic. Because he is the guy who gets absolutely angry every time he's hacked down. And he's going to get hacked down in this game on multiple occasions. That's the that's the game plan for any team. They yep. watch the tape and it's like, be physical with Christian Pulisic. This is a big Tyler Adams game. Because... Yep. While the attacks are not as sustained and developing as Wales or England, this is, it's, you might be the last line between a two on two or a three on two, and it's all on you. And he has been the best player easily for the United States through two games, but it's a lot of pressure on him to prevent these counterattacks. Yeah, it's a super interesting game on the field. It's a super interesting game off the field. It's great. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Very quickly, the other game in this group. I mean, did you like England-Scotland at the 2020 Euro? No. Well, I'm sorry to say you're probably going to get the exact same thing again tomorrow when Wales face England with the worst anthem from Wales. The only thing I can take solace in this game is for those who need Harry Kane to score some goals, this is a chance for him to, to pad those stats in his 60 minute cameo before he gets rotated. Not a yeah. cameo, but yeah. that's like, I, I str- obviously Wales have quality. They're desperate. They need a win, but I just struggle to see how two games with little rotation from their starters, Bale and Ramsey in the squad. I, I just struggle to see how they create against England and not just any England, but Gareth Southgate's England, yeah. who are not going to like play a game that lets Wales have an opportunity. They're going to come in this game being like, Wales is going to do nothing if we leave five defenders back. And that's yeah. what's going to happen. This game comes down to the two Gareth's, right? Like the England Gareth, Gareth Southgate. How conservative is he in this game? How adventurous does he get? Does he feel the need to get adventurous at any point? Does he want to get his team in a rhythm? They already had to score lots of goals game in the group stage, right? They already got six on a run. They don't necessarily need to score a lot of goals. I think he'd probably like to get Harry Kane a goal. He would probably love like a very easy, uncontested 2-3-0 win here. Right. Is there, what is the, what is the possibility where England don't get through? They have to lose. So England are, they top the group if they win, unless Iran win or the U.S. win by five. I'm going to pull out my my situation calculator here that I've got running. Um, if Wales beat England 2-0 and um, that would put them on four points. See, they have this goal differential. That's just a big thing in their favor. Right. So and it's a huge help to them. So because of that, Wales have to beat them by four and the U.S. win. Probably not going to score four times. Or Wales 
have to beat them by, I think, three. No, four. If they don't lose by four, they're going to go through. Right. So, okay. Yeah, I would just... There's very little chance of this becoming nervous for Southgate. It's just a question of, you know, does he give them anything going forward? Does he instruct them to just play a boring game? It's going to be ugly. The the drama's all in the other one. Yep. And for Wales, they're still in this, right? Like, there are scenarios where Wales can get out of this um, if they win and Iran-USA finishes in a draw. Is that likely? No. But that's not completely out of the question, right? Sure, sure. So can they create a moment of magic? Is it Kiefer Moore holding it up? Is it Gareth Bale doing one more thing? It kind of already feels like he had his World Cup moment. But they have to go for this, and that's probably going to leave them open. And regardless of how conservative England play, they'll still eat you up on the counterattack with those speedy wingers, and Wales do not have anything to counteract that. Right. Agreed. All right. It's sweaty time, Amit. I want to get you on the record. Who goes through, Ecuador or Senegal? I'm picking Ecuador here. The draw helps them. It's just another layer. Um, If it was maybe another team to chase this, I would – give Senegal more of a chance, but Ecuador's defensive record has been so good. So I think it's, they're the better team and they have the draw outcome. So I think it's Ecuador. Who goes through? I'm taking Ecuador, by the way, USA or Iran. Gosh, my heart says USA and my head says USA is better, but the draw outcome for Iran makes it uh, very, very dicey. I'll stick to my guts. I'll go USA. You can call that um, favoritism or whatever, or bias, whatever you want to say. But I'm just I'm going to ride with it. I need the belief for myself. Okay. I think the USA gets it done. I don't yep. know how they get it done. They, I think it's going to make me mad, and it's going to be ugly. But I think they'll get it done with some combination of weirdness going down. Let's see, though. Let's yeah. see. It's good. It's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. This is what the World Cup's all about. There's nothing better than updating a live table, punching in results, and trying to do the math on the fly. Always leads to some sort of situation where somebody in your soccer group chat is like, wait, is the Netherlands out now? And it's like, no, the Netherlands are not out now. You know, just create situations like that. It's fun. It's fun. It's looking forward to it. We'll be back tomorrow. I don't know what mood Amit is going to be in. We'll see. You'll see tomorrow. And it's going to be a fun one. So come back tomorrow. Thanks for listening as always. We'll be back.